All right, let's do this. We're going to try something a little different for this episode of the podcast. So I'm going to turn on some of my favorite music and we're going to listen to that while uh, we do the podcast here. So here we go. Motley Crue is my favorite band. It's basically the soundtrack to my life. Uh, You know what? I've got really interesting responses um, to the last few podcasts that I've released. And I wanted to do this podcast. And, you know, I understand why you guys are a little bit like upset or like, you know, I ruffled some feathers with the last few podcast episodes that I recorded. I was saying things that are like, you know, really uncomfortable things that bodybuilders are trying to like bury psychologically. But I, I am a bodybuilder. I have been a bodybuilder. So I know where you're coming from. And the only reason why I ever brought any of this stuff up is because I want what's best for you. Um, you know, I, I'm not doing it to tell you to stop doing what you're doing. I'm doing it so that you just know what you're getting yourself into. You know, we talk about on the podcast, you know, or in the book, whatever, you know, what's actually necessary, what's actually required to do bodybuilding, which, you know, that's not, that's not available on any other resources. And so that comes with consequences. It, it's not just a free ride like all these people say it is. They give you some low doses, some fake cycles that they're not doing and tell you that's what they're doing and tell you, you know, it's a free ride. They're healthy. They have no side effects. So, you know, I wanted to read a message. The first question for the podcast today, this is the official podcast episode. Like I said, we're going to do this a little different. We're going to listen to my favorite music and um, Motley Crue. And, um, and we're going we're gonna to talk. Um, so the first question of the day is uh, Kai Van asks, Hey Dan, I, enjoy, I love and enjoy the podcast and your book. However, recently you're taking a different stance and generalizing all the side effects from PEDs to be the same and not dose dependent. There's a difference between taking 750 milligrams of test per week versus three grams. Lifestyle usage doesn't cause as much harm as what IFBB pros take. I appreciate the direction you're going with trying to help people with managing sides, but you're coming across as fear-mongering. I know that people have been taking 800 milligrams of test and 400 milligrams of Trenbolone for 10 years nonstop, and they're in their 50s and doing great and competing regularly at a high level. Thanks. I understand why you're upset, okay? I understand the things that I've been talking about have been scary. So let's not pretend though that bodybuilding comes without consequences. So I thought the first thing that I could, you know, start out this podcast with is just telling you guys about my steroid side effects, okay? Let's go over what has happened to me, just so you know. Okay, so the first thing is, For the first part of my bodybuilding career, for the first, you know, five years, I had terrible blood pressure, okay? You know, my blood pressure started out before I started bodybuilding at like 130 over 80, but 
you know, once I got big and I was doing gear, you know, my, my blood pressure went up to like 150, 155 over like 80, 85 or so, you know, so it was the systolic pressure that really went up for me. Um, but, you know, I maintained that for years. And so that hurt me. That hurt me permanently. And um, I, I now have consequences from doing that. Another thing that I did was um, I used uh, a lot of DHT derivatives um, and very harsh androgens. So a lot of testosterone, um, anadrol, trenbolone, um, a lot of Winstrol. That's a heavy steroid that I used. Um, so anadrol, Winstrol, trenbolone, high testosterone, superdrol, these growth hormone. Uh, these are steroids that I've, I've used a lot of. I've used a lot of these, these uh, hormones, and uh, those contributed to some uh, side effects that I have. So let me just tell you, um, I've had my heart imaged, and um, I've had it really imaged, okay? So that's pretty scary to have had used steroids for almost a decade. And to have a cardiac specialist, a cardiologist, look inside of your heart. So what I did was I took a cardio, what's called a cardio stress test or an echocardiogram stress test, okay? And so what they do is they put you on a treadmill in the hospital and they start building your heart rate up and your blood pressure up, okay? And you go from being rested, so my blood pressure started at, because I'm on blood pressure medication now, you know, because I need it. Um, and so my blood pressure started at 123 over 72. And they exercised me so hard during this echocardiogram stress test. Eventually I was on the treadmill, hooked up to all this equipment, looking at my heart, looking inside my heart, um, at the chambers, at the valves inside my heart. And I was at a full sprint on the treadmill at a 45 degree incline. And they made me maintain that for three minutes while they were viewing the inside of my hearts. Do you know how naked I felt? Do you know how naked I felt during that? If there is anything wrong, there is nowhere to hide, bro. There is nowhere to hide. Okay? So this, this test scared the shit out of me, okay? But it was amazing because... I was sprinting and I could see the inside of my heart, all the valves, all the muscle, everything moving and squeezing and all this shit. Okay. It was the most amazing medical test or thing I've ever done. You know, seeing this, seeing the, there's so much happening. I cannot believe that my heart is doing that constantly all day without me thinking about it. I just cannot believe what is going on with my heart. So, okay, during this test, my blood pressure started out at, um, you know, 123 over, over 72. And, you know, by the time that I was, you know, up to a sprint on a 45 degree incline in the fucking hospital, right? With all this shit hooked up to me, all this shit hooked up to me. I'm like shirtless running in there, you know? like with my steroid muscles or whatever, with them watching me, okay? Um, <laughs> and um, and uh, so my, eventually, you know, 
that my blood pressure goes went up to about 220 over 61, you know, during the full sprint, which is normal when you're really working it hard. I, I'm in I'm in Warsaw, Poland. I'm not in Ukraine. Um, so it eventually, you know, that's normal because when you exercise, your blood pressure goes way up, and you know your heart rate does too. So when I was sprinting on the 45 degree incline on the treadmill. Um, my heart rate, they took my heart rate up to 180 beats per minute, so three beats per second. That's a very fast and very challenging heart rate to maintain, and I maintained that for three minutes. While, um, and you know, the blood pressure goes up because when you're exercising, your blood pressure goes extreme, you know. During weightlifting, it can go up to like over 300, like 300 systolic pressure. Um, so it's it's extreme, guys, when you're exercising. That's why I talk about stimulants and stuff. but. You know, when I was sprinting on the treadmill, that's not quite as extreme as what happens during weightlifting. So my blood pressure was about 220 over 61 at the full sprint on the incline, okay? And, you know, I was looking inside my heart during this, um, well, after, after, you know, I could, and, and seeing, you know, what was happening. And you know what really pleased me was because I was scared that I was going to have cardiomegaly or I was going to have left ventricular hypertrophy. You know, Rich Piana, Dallas McCarver, you know, they had hearts that were three times the size of a normal person when they were done with bodybuilding, when they were dead and they had their autopsies. So this is a concern for every bodybuilder. And you know what? I didn't have any cardiomegaly and I didn't have any left ventricular hypertrophy. And I almost like cried when I saw the inside of my heart because I was just so thankful to see that it wasn't all overgrown and disgusting with muscle inside. That's what left ventricular hypertrophy is. It's when your heart, the muscle inside, the chamber that pushes the blood through to the other chamber, it gets thickened and it gets muscle grown inside. So instead of having a nice empty heart with space for pushing blood and holding blood you get a heart that instead looks all overgrown and disgusting inside with no space and it just looks like this fat mess and it loses its ability to propel blood from one chamber to the other and that's called a low ejection fraction and that's what left ventricular hypertrophy is okay and when you get cardiomegaly or a, a large heart enlarged heart it causes the same thing, low ejection fraction. So a low amount of blood coming out of your heart um, with each beat. And so I was so scared to take this test, okay? But you know what? I, I saw with my own eyes what the inside of my heart looked like and all these little valves, you know, going like, boop, 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 you know, and I saw that my heart was not overgrown inside doesn't matter though when the cardiologist had to be you know looking at my shit um i had so much anxiety it was unbelievable how much anxiety i had you know waiting for the results of these te this test but you know on my mind i was thinking well you know they took me up to 180 beats per minute and made me maintain it like you know my heart can't be like a piece of shit because of my <laughs> my use you know it's got to at least be like decent <laughs> And I saw inside, and it wasn't overgrown. 
I, I didn't see a bunch of muscle mass inside, you know, I saw nice big chambers, empty chambers, you know, good for pushing blood around. <laughs> it didn't matter, man. I was scared out of my mind waiting for these results. So eventually like 48 hours, they got back to me with the results and they were like, oh, excellent squeezing motion, excellent um, ejection fraction, excellent exercise stamina. <laughs> Excellent chambers. They said zero uh, left ventricular hypertrophy and zero cardiac me megaly, cardiomegaly. So I was like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> I felt so good, you know. I felt like just like this. I'm kind of like reliving it right now, like my, my feelings. Because um, I was so scared about like what I had done to myself, like through my gear usage, you know. Um, so so what, what do I contribute to having or what do I attribute having those good results on the um, echocardiogram stress test too. Well, one thing is using telmisartan. You know, once I got my blood pressure under control, which is just a gift from God to me, um, you know, it. I started taking telmisartan, 80 milligrams per day. And, and, you know, I've been doing that for more than two years now. And that's one of the few medications on earth or known substances on earth that, has the ability to stop and reverse, reverse left ventricular hypertrophy. So that's one of the things that I attribute it to. The other thing that I attribute it to is not having used insulin because when you combine insulin with growth hormone, let me tell you, I have abused the shit out of growth hormone, okay? So I've really abused steroids, you guys. I, I have really abused it. So, um, so as, as far as, as like um, when you combine growth hormone with insulin, it makes the IGF-1 just go astronomical, okay? Like the systemic IGF-1. When you just take growth hormone, it makes the intramuscular IGF-1 go up, okay? So the actual muscle cells, not your liver, but the actual muscle cells manufacture IGF-1 inside of them when you take pharmaceutical-grade growth hormone. And that's what's really important for muscle growth. What fucks you up is having high systemic, astronomical systemic IGF-1 levels because it just makes shit grow, okay? So you guys know that I have relationships with professional bodybuilders, guys who have been friends with golden era bodybuilders, guys who were training partners with golden era bodybuilders and current, you know, like even 90s Olympia bodybuilders and stuff, you know, I have access to talking to these guys, some of their coaches. And, you know, one of them was telling me one time about how he was injecting IGF-1. It was pharmaceutical grade IGF-1 in the late 90s. And he actually grew a second erector spinae on top of his lower back muscle. So he got a growth. He's not a bodybuilder anymore, okay? He, and he's, he's, he's not large anymore. He, he gave it up. He quit. But he was competing in those competitions before. And he has an extra muscle that grew on top of the other muscle from taking that IGF-1, okay? So when you raise the systemic IGF-1 to astronomical levels, it's not a good thing. When you take growth hormone though, and you don't take insulin with it, yes, it does increase your IGF-1 really high, but it affects the actual muscle cells and makes the actual muscle cells themselves manufacture IGF-1 inside of them, which helps with the growth and the cell splitting there. 
you don't need these high systemic IGF-1 levels for, for, for muscle growth. It, they do help, yes, but you can't control where that IGF-1 goes when it's systemic, okay? It goes everywhere, and it goes in your heart. It goes in your liver. It goes all over the place, okay? And, um, you know, so that's what we would get from these autopsies on some of these big bodybuilders, you know, and you, you say, you know, why are their organs two or three times the size that they're supposed to be? Well, it's because their IGF-1 levels that were systemic, not just intramuscular, went insane, okay? So that's the other thing is, is that when you inject straight up IGF-1 or you combine growth hormone and insulin together, the systemic IGF-1, not just the intramuscular IGF-1 contained within the muscle cells, goes too high. And that's what creates these, you know, extreme side effects that you see. So I haven't done that. I was never an insulin user. And, but I will tell you, I, I got to tell you some of the things I've done with growth hormone, okay? So with pharmaceutical grade growth hormone, nortitropin, um, and, uh, Pfizer genotropin mostly, the dosages that I've used for periods of maybe maybe three total years in my life, total, um, like what are the dosages I've used, bro? Um, well, I've used between four I use per day to 10 or 11 I use per day for the most part of that, okay? Um, for like, you know, I didn't use it all in a row, three years all in a row. Okay. But just my pharmaceutical grade growth hormone usage has probably totaled about 1000 days at this point. The longest I've used it nonstop is one year and pretty much, you know, the dosages that I would use would be between four I use to 11 I use per day. But for example, when I was in Turkey and I had access to genotropin pens that were, you know, just ridiculously cheap over the counter, I decided I was going to see what growth hormone could really do. So I used half a pen a day. And each pen contains 36 IUs. And uh, so, you know, I was, I was taking 18 IUs a day. How long did I do that? Mm, like two or three weeks nonstop really didn't work that much better than doing like four IUs per day. You know, I really think that growth hormone is best used in three IUs to six IUs per day. Like, you know, when I'm talking to you guys with the podcast, I'm telling you guys, I've done this stuff and I'm telling you guys from experience. You want to hear what I've done with generic growth hormone? For periods of about two weeks, I've taken up to 45 IUs per day. You like that? You like that, bro? <laughs> it was an experiment. It was an experiment. Both of them were. In order to talk to you guys like I do on this podcast, I can't be talking out of my ass. I have to know what it does. I have to know for sure what it does. Okay? I've done it. <laughs> you want to hear some other stupid things that I've done? You know, that was very stupid and foolish what I did. Here's some other stupid things I've done. For periods of like, I think 10 days in a row, I've taken 75 milligrams per milliliter trenbolone acetate, three cc's per day, bro, 
Was it insane? Yeah, it was insane. The strength was just unbelievable. The lower back pumps. I would have to lay down for literally 30 minutes during my workout. Literally 30 minutes in excruciating pain, like, like just stinging, excruciating pain, you know, from doing a little bit of lower back workout. But, you know, um, yeah, yeah, I've used, I've used 225 milliliters of Trenbolone acetate per day. Three cc's per day, baby. <laughs> I regret that. That was so stupid. Um, some other crazy abuse that I've done. I, I've done 70 milligrams of Superdrol for nine weeks nonstop. You know, at the end of it, my eyes were so red. They were so red and just constantly tearing with tears falling out of them, like just all day long. Like I was so toxic, bro, <laughs> but I did it for science. I've used, I've, I used, used Anadrol at like more than 300 milligrams per day for like three weeks in a row. And, um, you know, had a similar experience with that. So, you know, I was telling you guys the the results from my, um, from my, my cardio echogram, uh, echocardiogram stress test, you know, and how that turned out. But let's talk about some other results that I've had, you know, that weren't so good. So here's one that I've had is I've taken a calcium scoring test, cardiac calcium scoring test. Okay. So this is the test that Antoine Valiant took, you know, IFBB pro Antoine Valiant. This is the test that he took and he didn't do well on it. And it's what made him retire from bodybuilding. I've taken this test too, guys. And you know what? While the results weren't catastrophic, I was above the 90th percentile in bad results for my age group because of my steroid abuse, okay? So I have mild but definite plaque in my heart and coronary artery from my steroid abuse confirmed by this what's called a heart view scan or a cardiac calcium scoring scan okay you get a number if you get between 0 to 10 it's like nothing if you get between 10 to 100 it's like you don't want that to progress man if you get between 2 to 300 it's like you've got a seriously increased risk of having like a heart attack or a stroke if you're in the three to 400 range, you have a serious, serious risk of a, a heart attack or a stroke, okay? So my results for that are above in the bad area, 90 out of 100 normal people for my age, okay? Why do you think that is? It's because I've abused gear, okay? So I wanna tell you that while I am like, thank God I don't have left ventricular hypertrophy. Thank God I don't have cardiac megaly. Do I have cardiovascular side effects from my steroid use? Yes, I do. I have mild but definite plaque in my heart and my coronary artery. That is not normal for my age, okay? This is what made Antoine Valiant, IFBB Pro, retire from bodybuilding, okay? His is worse than mine. <laughs> but it's not uncommon what I'm trying to tell you guys, okay? So, yeah, I've abused gear. You might, like, look at your own use and say, like, 
oh, well, I haven't abused like him. Maybe not. And maybe, maybe you're okay. Maybe you're not like me, you know, but I'm just telling you that, you know, cause this guy, you know, I'm still answering Kai Van's question. He asked me, you know, why are you generalizing and fear mongering? Well, let me tell you, because if you want to do real bodybuilding with the real kind of, I mean, you guys have seen me, you know, I've been 255 pounds at five foot nine lean, you know, solid muscle, you know, so it, you know, pro bodybuilding size and, uh, you know, that's, that's, you got to take a lot of gear to do that. Okay. So like, sometimes I'll, I'll put these cycles up that I did in order to, and people will be like, that's a lot of gear or something like that. It's like, yeah, yeah. So I'm telling you, you know, Jay Cutler released some video the other day about like what he took. Wasn't he trying to beat Ronnie Coleman for all those years and he could never beat Ronnie Coleman? So, you know, Jay Cutler said he only used 500 tests or something like that, you know, and that's what he did his bodybuilding on. So his thing was that he was trying to beat Ronnie Coleman for all those years and he never could. And it was because his morals were that he couldn't use more than 500 tests. Get out of here. Get out of here, dude. He had good genetics. Ronnie Coleman had better genetics. Jay Cutler says that he'll do anything what's required to win except for take more than 500 milligrams of tests. Get out of here. Okay. You gotta, you gotta be, you gotta really pay attention to, you know, what you're hearing. Um, so that, you know, that's some of the res results, you know, I'm, I'm telling you some of the results that, that I've had, you know, um, other things that have happened to me, like, you know, my liver enzymes have been up from time to time. You know, my kidney function has been down from time to time, like looking at blood tests and stuff. Um, but, you know, generally I'm healthy, you know, thank God, thank God, you know, the amount of like, you know, how I said I have mild but definite plaque in my heart. Okay, so that's not a problem as long as it doesn't progress. If it progresses, it's going to be a problem for me. So I can't let that progress. Okay, so that's what you want to do. And, and that's why I've been like saying, you know, these really uncomfortable last podcasts, you know, you, you know, Kai asks, you know, you're coming across as fear mongering. I know guys in their 50s who have been on 800 tests, 400 trend for 10 years nonstop, and they're doing great and competing regularly at a high level. Well, you know what age that most bodybuilders start getting problems in their 50s and 60s. Okay, I don't want that to be me. Okay, and you don't want that to be you, and I don't want it to be you. Your family doesn't want it to be you. Your friends don't want it to be you. Your girlfriend, your wife doesn't want it to be you, okay? So instead of just going at this blind, why don't you start looking at what's happening? Why don't you start figuring out what's happening to your body? Okay, don't make the same mistakes that everyone else is making that I've made in the past, okay? I'm doing this because I want to help you. I want what's best for you. Um, so I'm, I'm coming out and, and, I, and I'm saying these things that are very uncomfortable. It's like ripping off a band-aid for you. You have to hear it. You need to hear this. And, and it's like I'm ripping off this band-aid. And while it may make you like not like me or something, or, or it might offend you or make you not want to listen to my podcast because I scared the shit out of you, I don't care because I care about you enough to tell you what's actually happening, okay?
I care about you. So if you don't want to listen to my content anymore or something like that, because I'm bringing up things that are uncomfortable, then I'm sorry, but I'm going to keep doing what is necessary to give you the best content that you need. This is all about honesty for me. It's not about becoming famous. It's not about becoming um, rich or something like that. Do you see this necklace that I have on right now? This is the one that the girl in the hospital who had lupus, who was in her 20s, who was dying, gave to me when my leg was in really bad shape because of using gear and getting a really bad necrosis on my leg, okay? Almost having to get my leg cut off, okay? I've been doing this for a long time and I've had side effects. And I'm going to tell you that it's not just all sunshine and rainbows. I'm not gonna pretend like you just get away with this for free and there's no health consequences to it. That's a lie, okay? And, and, <laughs> and it's also a lie that bodybuilders who, you know, are big are using low dosages. That's not true. Can you maintain mass that you've built on high dosages, on lower dosages? Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Um, but can, can you get, you know, really gigantic and, you know, 250 pounds of muscle at 5'9", etc. on low dosages? I'm sorry, no. <laughs> That's not reality. So uh, let's talk about another one that I have, another like side effect that I have that's kind of shitty that, you know, people just won't talk about it. You know, I, I have an enlarged prostate. So like, you know, I have to go pee more than the average dude. <laughs> and I wake up during the night needing to go pee like two or three times a night, every night, you know, because, you know, steroids enlarge your prostate and higher dosages enlarge it more. And I've used high dosages of steroids. So I have an enlarged prostate and it's like something that I have to deal with now for my life, right? It's, it's like, you know, there is like prostate swelling or unswelling, but you know, and that depends like a lot on like what you're using or estrogen, you know? So it, it was mainly from using like really high testosterone <laughs> dosages that, you know, my prostate grew like permanently, you know? And, uh, you know, that's shitty. I don't like that. But I've talked to so many of you guys. You, like, all have it, too. You know, because you guys call me and talk to me on the phone. And we talk about, you know, like, what your issues are. And, and how to, like, make it not as bad or whatever, you know. And you have it, too. So I know that when I'm saying this, it's almost like relieving a stress from you to hear like, I'm not alone. He has it too. <laughs> so yeah, man, like everybody that uses gear has an enlarged prostate, man, some worse than others, you know, but that's something that like, when I think about it, when I think about like, oh yeah, my prostate's like permanently enlarged. It makes me think like, like, I don't, I don't like that. I don't, I don't like that. It, that's a, that's, that's a thought that is troubling to me. So, anyways, I'm done now. It's been a half an hour, you know. I'm done talking about, you know, you know what what's what's bad. You know, pretty much other than that, guys, pretty much other than that, I don't, you know, what I've discussed so far, I don't have permanent side effects from my steroid abuse and performance enhancing drug abuse, you know. But, you know, things could be worse or things could be better. You know, it's just it's kind of like the roll of the dice and um, you know, 
one thing that I do do now is is I really am aware of what's happening and and you know I I do my blood work consistently you know I donate or or I get rid of blood I do phlebotomy um, consistently to keep my hematocrit levels in the right level you know I maintain my good blood pressure maintain the right LDL cholesterol level um, you know I take some stuff um, to to prevent additional um, plaque deposition. Um, in, in my heart, since I have mild but definite plaque, you know, in, in my in my heart, I can't afford for that to get worse. Um, so, so th those are my effects. I'm, I'm just telling you because you know, Kai said, you know, you're taking a different stance and generalizing all the side effects. There's a difference. Um, I appreciate the direction you're going, but you're fear mongering. I know people who are on 800 tests, 400 trend for 10 years nonstop and in their 50s and doing great and competing regularly at a high level. Well, I must tell you that there are things that they don't know. You know, if I wouldn't have taken those tests, if I wouldn't have taken the tests in my heart, you know, would I have ever known that? Not until I had a heart attack or stroke because it got worse. Um, you know, most people aren't talking about their prostate. That's not really something that is popular to talk about. That's something that uh, people don't talk about that in bodybuilding, okay? <laughs> so, I just think it's funny, man. I think it's funny. I was excited to do this podcast episode with, with you guys because I just know it's like one of those ones that you're going to look back on like hearing it and be like, damn, he really, he really like said stuff during that podcast episode, so... I always like doing that. I'm a little bit of a shock jockey. I'm an experimenter. I'm a shock jockey a little bit. I kind of like shocking people. Anyways, let's get to the next. Let's get to the, you know. Okay, so there was something I wanted to talk about. Actually, there was one other thing I want to talk about. So I've been getting asked, like, how do you avoid fat gain? Because when, when you're, like, eating sugars, because a lot of people have asked me, like, you know, like, back when you were 250 pounds five foot nine of, of muscle, you know, how were you eating? And when I tell them, you know, oh, you know, uh, pre-workout, I would have a bowl of oatmeal, a bowl of uh, like chocolate Quaker Oats oatmeal with, you know, 50 grams of whey protein in there. I would have five to 600 calories of gummies and I would eat, I would drink uh, one 32 ounce Gatorade. And then during my workout, I would drink an additional 400 calories of glucose electrolyte drink. And then after my workout, I would go and I would eat half of a whole chicken and I would eat three to four cups of white rice. And I would eat and drink an entire coconut with that. And they're, they're like, what the hell? So you just had like 3000 calories of sugar. And like, look in those pictures, like how vascular you were. And there were like striations and stuff and looking so like muscular, you know, how does that compute? How did you not gain fat? And the answer is that you can only eat like that during your workout and around your workout, like immediately, like immediately pre-workout. And I'm talking minutes pre-workout during the workout, exactly during the workout, inter-workout drink. And then immediately, I'm talking less than one hour post-workout, like 15 to 30 minutes post-workout, okay? So 
when you were exercising, think back to when you were a, a kid, when you were a teenager, and it was like, I can't gain fat no matter what I do. Well, what were you spending your time doing? Every time you ate, you went back outside and played. You went back outside and did whatever sports you were doing, you know, whatever, whatever you were doing for you guys that had that experience when you were a teenager and you were like, I can't gain fat. What were you doing every single time you ate and you, it was like, whatever you ate too, you just went immediately outside and started exercising again. Okay. So that's why that happens is because when you eat those sugars, it increase, uh, and, and then you exercise like that. It is not partitioned to fat, but if you eat like that at any other time when you're not exercising, it is partitioned to fat. So if you eat sugars, if you eat junk food, if you eat, you know, enormous meals of like a full pizza or two full pizzas or a cake in one sitting, and then you sit after that, it will store as fat. Okay. So it's only when you're exercising and the reason why you remember like, oh, back when I was a teenager. How come I could eat whatever I wanted as much as I wanted and I was the leanest I've ever been in my life? Why was that happening? Well, it was because you were so active and you were always, you know, you basically ate the food so that you could go back outside and do whatever the activity is that you liked to do again. So that's the reason why that happens. And, and you know, when you hear about bodybuilders you know, eating a lot of sugars or you see pictures of bodybuilders and you see like, you know, and you hear about their diet and you're like, what the hell, how are they eating that and looking like that? Know that you can only eat like that right around your exercising at no other time. Can you eat like that? So those five foot nine, 250 pounds, striations, veins, a lot of it, you know, those pictures that you see of me, I was only eating like that immediately pre-workout minutes during the workout and then immediately again minutes post-workout okay at the other times of the day i was not eating like that at the other times of the day i, I was i was eating like a, a pretty strict bro diet was my calories getting up to like you know five to seven thousand calories a day yes they were yes they were but the um the timing matters okay the timing definitely matters with um with nutrients all right, so that's uh, covered a couple important things, how to avoid fat gain when eating sugar, um, my personal side effects, and Kai's question, you know, why the podcast has been a little different recently. <laughs> All right, so uh, let's get on to another question. Alexander asks, long-time listener, wondering if there's any reasonable difference between Anadrol only versus Anadrol D-ball combo. Question. Okay. Yes, of course there is. Okay. So some people say like, uh, you know, a good example is, you know, D-ball and Winstrel stack. Isn't that going to cancel each other out? <laughs> Steroids don't cancel each other out. Okay. The more you take, the more effective it is. Okay. So they balance each other when you take and, and they have added additive effects. Okay. So when you take D-ball, it, it has, it puts a lot of water into your body, right? your whole body, your skin, your muscle, everything. When you take Winstrol, it redistributes that water into the muscle and pushes it out of the skin. Okay, so is Winstrol and D-Ball a, a combo that people use that works? Yes, it is. Is it a combination that people like? Yeah, same with Anadrol and Winstrol because it has similar effects, but Anadrol is a lot drier than 
than D-ball. But, you know, Anadrol-D-ball combo, another thing is that, like, you know, why is that effective? Um, why is that, you know, more effective than Anadrol alone? Well, because each individual different type of steroid has its different metabolic pathways that it affects, um, different metabolic pathways that affect the digestion or the metabolism of protein, fat, and carbs. So when you have different types, like more different types in there, then you have more different metabolic pathways being lit up and being affected and makes you very anabolic, um, turns on more uh, muscle building and fat burning mechanisms um, in, in your body. Um, you, you know, there are also like dosage thresholds, you know, higher dosages than those certain metabolic pathways that each one affects is affected like more strongly. Um, and um, yeah, I, I mean, that that's that's pretty much that's pretty much it. I think that pretty much covers that question. Um, that of why, you know, stacking orals is effective. Why is stacking anything effective? Why is stacking injectables effective? Okay. It's, it's because they all have different metabolic pathways. You know, if you're taking a lot of different types, it's going to have stronger effects than, you know, taking a lot of different types at low dosages than having, you know, just one type or two types at extreme dosages, you know, to a certain extent, obviously there's a certain balance to that, that we're talking about, but, um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, some people ask, you know, is it, is it, uh, does it, how could it work or, or how could it make a difference or how could it be something that, uh, builds more muscle to stack orals? Isn't it your oral maxed out when you've done one oral? No. Isn't your injectable stacked up? maxed out when you've done one injectable no dude the more gear you take the stronger it is dude i i just don't even know what to say about, <laughs> about like, the people it's another one of these things where it's like you don't want to know and you don't want to accept it you want something else to be what is reality but i just have to tell you Unfortunately, unfortunately, that's the way it is. I wish it wasn't that way. I'm with you. I wish it wasn't that way, but it is. Another thing that you should be doing on gear too is you should be eating enormous amounts of protein, okay? You think these studies that show how much naturals can utilize, how much protein naturals can utilize apply to you when you're on gear? No, no, they don't apply to you, okay? What do, what do, what do gear, what does gear do what is muscle? What is muscle composed of? What, what, when you eat meat, what does it have in it? Protein. It's composed of protein. Okay. And you want to have more muscle and you're limiting your protein and you're on gear that makes you retain protein that makes it not leave your body. There's only one storage depot for protein, bro. And it's in your muscles. It's not stored anywhere else. It's created in the muscle tissue. So I, I mean, it just blows my mind when guys are on gear and they're not eating 300 grams of protein or more per day. It just blows my mind. Like you've been so confused by all this different bullshit that has been thrown at you about like all this complicated shit that you need to do in order to like build muscle. You know, you're even doing things like using research chemicals and using like shit that pros don't use, you know, that pro, you know, the guys that you look up to didn't use to build their physiques, like all these new gears, 
or all these new SARMs or all these new research chemicals or new peptides and, and you think that's necessary for you and you're not even a pro and you're trying to reinvent the wheel, you think you need this to build your physique? I'm sorry, no. I, I mean, you're probably not even doing the basics. Are, are you eating more than 300 grams of protein per day? You need to be. Are you doing progressive overload in the gym? One year ago, were you using, let's just be conservative here, okay? Were you using 25 pounds less or 10 kilograms less per side on the bench press for the same amount of sets and the same amount of reps, you know? So are you doing progressive overload? You know, it should be more like 40, 45 pounds or, you know, 20 kilograms on each side, um, you know, more after a year, you know? Are you making those progress? Are you doing progressive overload? You know, are you able, so, and another way to do it is, you know, are you doing more sets with that weight? Are you doing more reps with that weight? That's also another way to program progressive overload. Okay, so are you eating the necessary protein to accumulate more muscle tissue. What is muscle made out of? What is the main macronutrients when you eat meat? It's protein. Muscle is made out of protein. You stack more and more protein storage in your body and it's stored as muscle tissue, okay? So are you doing the basics? You think you need to do all this, all this reinventing the wheel shit that the pros didn't do? You think you need to take all these new unresearched chemicals that aren't like medications and stuff in order to build your ideal physique? You think you need to do some crazy shit? No, no you don't. You're being led astray, dude. You need to focus on the basics. You need to be doing progressive overload. You need to be eating more than 300 grams of protein per day. And the other thing is that you need to be taking the right tried and tested gears. And you know what, depending on, unfortunately, depending on the size that you wanna be, you know, the dosage has to do with that you know, with how big you can get, with, with, you know, how chemical you can look, how freaky you can look. Unfortunately, that's the way it is. So, um, that, that's that. <laughs> I don't know how I got into all that from, you know, asking what is the difference between Anadrol only versus Anadrol D-ball only. I really went off on a tangent there, huh? All right. You know, at the beginning of this, I said, you know, Motley Crue's my favorite band. It's basically the, the soundtrack to my life. And, you know, I'm sitting here in Warsaw, Poland right now. I'm not in Ukraine anymore. Um, and, um, y you know, uh, I, I'm, I said, too, that I'm, I'm recording this live on YouTube. So I see that um, some of you guys are sending me, um, you know, messages right now, um, <laughs> which is kind of funny. Um uh, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to keep, I already have all of the, uh, questions, uh, written down, you know, uh, that I'm going to be answering during this podcast. So, and this podcast is going to be on the, this like Spotify, Apple podcast, you know, the podcasting platforms too. This is the episode 53 of the steroids podcast. Uh, but I just wanted to do a different format for fun right so i'm like listening to my favorite band motley Crue, which is like the soundtrack to my life and i'm really just like talking to you guys like if you were with me right now you know i'm on video you know i'm on video if you were with me right now this is exactly the way i am in real life you know there's a lot of you guys i've met a lot of you guys 
Some of you guys have been weird. Other of you guys have been cool. You know what? I've met a lot of cool guys, though. Yeah, I would say the majority of you guys have been super cool. So, uh, but, you know, if, if you're one of those guys that have met me, you know that this is exactly what I'm like in real life. You know, what, how I am right now. So, hope you're enjoying it. You're seeing the real me. I'm going to listen to another album now. Go up, take some more questions. Um, uh, all right, so let's get on to the next question. Um, Adam asks, <laughs> I have a question which I was able, not able to find an answer in the internet. If I'm on test and then I masturbate, is that destructive? I know from your podcast that my balls don't produce testosterone anymore if I'm on gear. So I'm wondering if I could use up the injected test by jacking off. Thanks in advance, Dan. <laughs> Doesn't have any effect on your gains, man. It has zero effect on your gains. So, you, you know, the semen is like made from like mostly like proteins and vitamins and minerals and stuff, but you kind of like run out the more times you do it, you know? And there's no difference between like having sex or jacking off as far as like what's coming out what is the substance coming out you're losing it's not like you're like getting rid of your testosterone each time you do that um it is like some you know like vital nutrients or like vital vitamins etc but it's not that much so you know it's kind of a funny question it's kind of a funny question i know a lot of people have wondered but no you know jacking off or like having sex that's not going to decrease your ability to build muscle so it's kind of a funny one um drew asks does taking liver protection like n-acetylcysteine milk thistle or tudka really reduce the potency of orals so the answer to this question is no it doesn't and so how do these chemicals work and they're really effective and i use them so what your liver has is it has a antitoxin storage called L-glutathione inside. And when you take toxic things, or even when you work out, you produce a lot of toxins. What is all that soreness that you feel? It's toxins built up inside of you. Um, so your liver has to process this, okay? And so what it's processing these toxins first when you take oral steroids, when you drink alcohol, you know, when you take Tylenol, acetaminophen, etc., whenever the liver has to deal with toxins, what it first goes to is its antitoxin L-glutathione storage, and it utilizes that to neutralize it. But what about when that reservoir is used up? What happens then? Well, your liver cells start being used. The actual cells start being used to neutralize the toxins, and they die. That kills them. And so you don't want to exhaust your L-glutathione antitoxin storage. And so taking these liver protection agents, certain ones, replenish that L-glutathione liver protection storage. You know, just eating L-glutathione, it, it gets destroyed, okay? It can be injected and it doesn't get destroyed that way, but you know, the, the reason why people are doing this is to replenish their, their L-glutathione storage. So, 
it does not affect the potency of your orals, okay? <laughs> it doesn't block, it doesn't block your orals from being absorbed. Okay, the next question. Uh, Yo Dan, Matthew asks, Yo Dan, is it more effective to take your metformin before, during, or after your meal? Um, right before you eat would be the most effective time to take it. You know, I really can't be hassled to be taking pills all day. So, you know, if I'm using it, I'm going to be taking it, you know, morning and night. And that works good, you know, with standard release. Like that song, man, looks that kill. Um, but uh, standard release or XR release, they both work. Okay, if you take them twice per day. That's enough and it's gonna work. Um, you know, my the, my favorite dosage of metformin is a thousand milligrams morning and night. And it works really effective for bodybuilding if you combine that with HGH and T4, you know. You can think of metformin as insulin light. It makes it so that the natural insulin that your pancreas produces is utilized more effectively. So it gives a lot of the effects of like Otherwise, what injecting insulin would do for you with bodybuilding, which is so dangerous. You know, that's why I don't, I really, you know, say on the podcast, you know, like, don't do that. And it's very popular in high-level bodybuilding to be doing that. And a lot of bodybuilders, you know, are like all about that shit. Like, what what killed Dallas McCarver choking on his food because he was going into an insulin coma and he was trying to prevent it from progressing worse. But you lose control of your tongue. You lose control of your limbs. You're just like a flapping fish once you're going into an insulin coma. So, I mean, he'd still be around most likely, you know, if he wasn't using insulin. So, you know, bad things can really bad things can happen, you know, using insulin. And it's the same thing with DNP. You know, I'm like, I'm like, you know, why are you risking killing yourself like right now for muscles? It's one thing risking killing yourself down the road using, you know, regular gear, <laughs> you know, because it's like pick your poison, you know. You know, you know, a lot of people are taking a lot of different shit or, you know, having like unhealthy lifestyles, you know, and it's like, who is anyone to judge? You know, what about like when an obese person goes into the doctor and, and you know, they're like, they're, they're like, okay, you know, you need to change your lifestyle. You need to stop eating those foods and eating so much of them so that you, you know, stop having your diabetes and you don't die in the next 15 years. And, you know, the person is like, no. I will not stop eating these foods and these amounts of them because that's what I like to do. And, 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 you know, so it's like, okay, well, let's help you mitigate your risk then, or make it like not as bad, like, you know, but people don't want to be told what to do. You don't want to be told to reduce your roid dosage or stop taking them. Okay. <laughs> and, and, you know, if, if people are just saying like, you know, you know, these absolute things about like lifestyle or like you can't do that or you have to stop doing that. Obviously, you're not going to respond well to that. And so I think it's important to just tell you how you can mitigate your risks to make yourself like be the most healthy as possible. Like, of course, you want to do bodybuilding for as long as possible. And if you want to do that, you have to be taking care of your health while you do it, like mitigating risk factors. You can't just be like shooting from the hip without thinking and saying, you know, I'm, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. Well, then you're going to be burning your fuse. You know, if you can know what's happening with your health 
and you can be taking risk mitigation factors while you're living this lifestyle that you want to live, you know, which may be including, you know, unhealthy things in it. You know, the same as like a, a, a type two diabetic, you know, is usually including unhealthy things in their life. Like at least let you know, or at least get the information or at least take the measures that are going to help you to like prolong your health as long as possible. Okay. Instead of just treating you like some piece of shit and, 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 and telling you, you know what, we're not going to help you unless you stop what you're doing. That's stupid. That's really stupid. You know, why not just instead of that, not judge you and try to help you instead, you know, that's what I want to do is, is I want to, I want to help you. So I, I mean, yeah, <laughs> that's pretty much my thoughts on it. You, you know, I know what it's like to be a bodybuilder. You know, I know what it's like to be in the mind of a bodybuilder, how your mind works. So I know how it is. And that's like the thing is that when people call me or whatever, you know, I may have said stuff on the podcast or something that like may have like been offensive to people or, you know, talk bad about certain behaviors or, or doing certain things, taking certain stuff. But that doesn't mean that when you tell me like, oh, you know, I take this, you have to preface it with, I know you don't like it, but I take this, or I know you think this is wrong, but I do this. I don't give a fuck. I just want to help you. So whatever you're doing, if you're not doing it my way, I don't give a fuck. Okay. I just want to help you to do whatever you're doing in the like best way possible so that you can do it for as long as possible and you can be as healthy as you can for as long as possible. Okay. Th those are my goals. I know what it's like to be a bodybuilder. Okay. I know what it's like in your head and, and I know that, you know, no, you don't want to be told what to do. You're going to do what you're going to do. And you don't want anyone telling you what to do or to stop something. It's a lot better to do harm reduction, health mitigation, harm mitigation measure, measures to help you. And then you can make your own decisions about your lifestyle when you want to make your own decisions about your lifestyle. That's going to be what's going to benefit you the most. Um, so yeah, taking the metformin just to finish this question up right before the meal, if you're thinking optimal times to take the metformin, it would be right before you started eating. Um, all right. Martin asks, Hey man, what do you think about training and PCT? Don't know if you talked about it, but got me wondering, especially when there is little testosterone in the bloodstream, starting my first cycle in May and getting through your book, ultimate guide to roids 109 page ebook by dan the bodybuilder from thailand now for the first time in bodybuilding history you have someone with no hidden agenda no corporate interests not walking on eggshells to not offend ultimate guide to roids gives you the keys to the lamborghini gives you the information and lets you know what to decide with it it's a crime this information has been suppressed for this long now let's get on with the podcast. I thought you guys might like that. <laughs> you saw me do it live. I remember when I first recorded that. I, I actually remember I was like having fun with my microphone. I, I was just messing around, you know, and, and it became the, the intro for the podcast. 
Some people don't like the intro. I thought this this podcast episode I'd leave off the intro until the end. I'm going to put it at the end, you know, just because, you know, I have the, the format changed on a bunch of different things with this podcast. But it, it's uh, I think maybe for listeners that have never heard the podcast before, they might be like, oh, that's stupid. Right. But after you've heard it a bunch of times, you probably think it's like awesome or like funny or something. <laughs> I do. And I, I like, dude, Ultimate Guide to Roids, my book, it's a pleasure to read, you know? I wrote that for you guys. Like, I was thinking about you when I wrote it. It, it took me it took me two months of working every day, like six to ten hours a day to write it. Because it's 109 pages and it has all the information in it. Like, I really, really, like, condensed it down. Because there's so much confusion out there, right? You need things to be, like, as simple as possible and just all in one spot. There's a lot of competitors that use Ultimate Guide to Roids. And they use it like, like their coach will not know the answer to questions, like as they're coming up to their competition and they reference ultimate guide to roids for high level coaches um, to be able to come up with the things that they need to do or that or how to solve their problems, how to solve their side effects, et cetera. Um, you know, when their coach had, does not have the answers for them, cannot help them. So Anyways, yeah, I'm really proud of that book. Like, I am seriously proud of that book. And um, I wrote it for you. I was thinking about you. I, I, was, I was literally thinking about you when I was writing it and trying to just do everything I could to help you um, and, and just be straight up with you. <laughs> it's a shocking book, you know. It is shocking. When I read, I, you know, occasionally I'll go back and I'll read Ultimate Guide to Roids, maybe like once every six months or once a year or something, I'll go read it again. And I'm almost like, what the fuck? Like, I can't believe I put this shit in here. Like, because it's so extreme and just puts everything like so naked and like out to bear that it's almost like, oh my gosh, like it's almost too much, man. It's almost too much. Anyways a good book you know if you want to check it out bodybuilderinthailand.com go there it's the first article on the home page you know you can read like 10 pages like really good pages you know just right there on the on the home uh, on that first article on the home page check it out i had a lot of fun with it i had a lot of fun with it a lot of people do let's get on to the next question um oliver says Oh, no, no, no. I, I didn't talk about training in PCT. I, I got to finish this question first. So you should let yourself recover. If you're going to be going back on cycle and, and like you're doing PCT or you're doing a cruise, like, you know, training, weight training is not, it's healthy for you in some ways, but in other ways it's not healthy for you. Okay. So like, as far as like your liver and kidney function, a lot of guys will say to me that, well, they'll send me their blood work. And they'll show me like, I have li elevated liver enzymes. I have bad kidney function and I'm not on orals. Why? I didn't think injectables would do this to me. And, and the answer is, is that they have so much muscle and they're training so hard and they're training with a lot of volume and a lot of frequency and they're creating so much waste products. It has to be filtered. And you know, that's putting a strain on their liver and kidneys and so when you want to like really recover 
you know, PCT, what is that all about? It's about recovering. Um, and, and a lot of times, you know, it's hard to get a guy to do a PCT because he wants to go on a cycle, you know, so badly again. So it's like, come on, bro, just for four weeks. <laughs> uh, just, you know, just cruise or go off or whatever, just for four weeks. And, um, you know, it'll be a big help. It'll, it'll really help your longevity to do that. And um, so if you're really training hardcore and everything still during that time, you're not going to allow your organs to create a full recovery the way that you would if you weren't training so hardcore. Like if you were just going to go off and you were going to be off for a long time, then I would say, yeah, you don't need to like cut back your training or something during PCT. It's fine. But if you're planning on just doing like this short little segment to get as much recovery as possible, and then you're going to go back on gear again, then I would recommend like really scaling back the training to a bare minimum uh, during like the PCT or the cruise, if it's a short one and you're just trying to like do it to get healthy and get back on cycle with like the healthiest organs again, you know, which having healthy organs, you build muscle and strength so much better because, you know, what does gear do? What does it do? It changes the way you process food. It doesn't magically build muscle. Okay. What, what processes food guys organs. So if you don't have healthy organs, you can't do bodybuilding as effectively as someone who does have healthy organs, okay? So that's another reason why it's like, you know, if you're refusing to look at your health markers, if you're refusing to do your blood work, etc., because you're like, oh, I'm not going to do that, I'm going to bury that in the back of my mind, you're really not helping your bodybuilding progress. You're not doing things the way that the pros do it. And if you want to be the best bodybuilder that you can be, you have to change. <laughs> Tough love, man. Showing you some tough love. But yeah, with the, you just want to do your compound lifts and just like try to maintain your strength, which you usually can for a couple sets. You know, not a lot of sets when you're not on cycle, but just a couple sets. So, you know, when you're on that PCT and you're trying to get as much recovery out of it as possible, um, you, you want to, you, you want to, not do a lot of volume, not do a lot of frequency. Um, you just want to get in there and do the bare minimum training just to like let the muscles feel the weights, the heavy weights on the compound exercises so that they're stimulated to like stay there and then get out of the gym. You're not trying to like kill it or like work so hard during the PCT that actually makes it harder for your body and your organs to recover, which is like what you're trying to do during that time. You can't go a hundred, a hundred percent, a hundred miles per hour all year long. You know, even Dorian Yates says that is, you know, you can't just push it full throttle 24, seven, 365. You have to go, you have to cycle through your intensity. Uh, Dorian Yates says that, and he's the king of intensity. Okay. And, and it's true. You do. So especially for young guys, this is hard because they have so much motivation and, you know, they don't want to ever take a day off from the gym. Um, and you know, they won't, a lot of times they want to train so much and they don't want to take rest days, etc. And this is actually killing their progress. They can't make progressive overload because they, you know, won't let themselves recover. It's like a callus on your hand, you know, if you just keep scraping it every day and you never let it rest, it can't grow back stronger. It just stays raw. It's the same thing with your muscles. It's the exact same thing with your muscles. So, uh, you do, 
you know, have to prioritize, you know, cycling your intensity, you know, and when is a good time to cycle your intensity down when you go off cycle, when you PCT, when you cruise, you know, that's, that's an optimal time to do it. Just let yourself recover. You know, when you go back on cycle, it's going to be a week until you look like you're on freaking full of drugs again. <laughs> All right. Next question. Oliver asks, I have a quick question. I've been working out for 11 years. I'm 28. I'm hopping on gear. I've already decided. What do you think I should start out with? Heard your podcast, you and D-Trend talking about dosages. I just want to do whatever it takes to get bigger. Want to post more fitness stuff on my socials. Hopefully I can become an influencer, inspire and motivate people. Looking for purpose in your life. So that, that's what you're looking for right now. You're looking for, you know, purpose and you're looking to be a somebody. This is something that a lot of guys that get into bodybuilding are, are really, you know, because, you know, obviously we know a lot of bodybuilders are super insecure and have body dysmorphia or, you know, you create the big body to fall in love, too young, <laughs> fall in love. You know, I fucking love Motley Crue, dude. Um, so, you know, I just want to talk about this. You, you know, I have a university degree in psychology. Like, even though I talk with you guys about this and everything, I really am equally studied in psychology. And, and um, you know, I talk to you guys about roids a lot, you know, or bodybuilding a lot. But you think I have a lot of knowledge here. It's, it's equal in psychology. So that's why I, like, understand you guys and connect to you guys on a way that is, is like, not common because I really, really understand you. Um, so... You know, I just want to let you know right now before you start taking a bunch of gear, which is like a huge hassle, it has health consequences and, um, you know, it's a big commitment for you. It, um, I just want to let you know that your vision that you have of like, when I have this body, things are going to be different for me. People are going to treat me differently. I'm going to have easy access to these things in my life. That's probably pretty skewed, bro. Like you could go about things in a lot different way in order to like have a higher self-esteem and to feel like you're somebody. And, you know, you say you want to be an influencer, you want to inspire and motivate people. A lot of times if those are the driving factors that are causing you to like do what you're doing, like do bodybuilding, do social media, etc., it, it leads down a dark path. And like, while you may get like material gains, while you may get like worldly gains, um, you know, more money, things like that, it's not going to sit well with you. You're still going to feel dark inside you're still going to feel lonely inside. You know, most bodybuilders are pretty lonely. You know, they, if you get into bodybuilding, it usually honestly makes your self-esteem go down because you're so critical of yourself for one thing. And you're like focusing on your looks a lot, which is really not manly. That's pretty feminine. Uh, but, but I'm not going to say that like, so when I, whenever I talk to you guys about these things, I'm not immune from them. Okay. I've been there and, but I'm really experienced 
and I want to use my experiences to help you. So I've done these things. I've felt these ways, okay? And I just want to help you. So I think that you should, you know, if you're saying you want to do whatever it takes to get bigger, you want to inspire and motivate people and you want to be an influencer. I just feel like you probably have low self-esteem and you want to use bodybuilding to like overcome that. And you probably feel lonely. Um, so if you really want to do bodybuilding and you want to like take steroids and everything, I think that you should just do that for you. Like if you want to be big, if you want to be strong, if that's something that is appealing to you and if no one else ever saw, you'd be cool with that. And, and, and actually you'd be fine with it. That's what's going to, unless you feel like that, I wouldn't recommend taking gear and I wouldn't recommend getting really into bodybuilding. Cause like, here's another one is, is that like, you may think like, once I get a certain body, I'm going to have girls all over me and I'm going to get a lot of pussy. And <laughs> the answer to that is you're going to get a lot of dudes all over you, man. And, and, uh, and, and then the other thing is that like, you know, you, you're going to get, you're, you're going to get like some more, you're going to get some more girls too, but they're not going to be throwing themselves at you like you envision them to be. Um, and it's not going to be like people are coming up to you. Women are coming up to you and offering themselves to you. Okay. That's not going to happen. Um, so, you know, there, I just want to help you understand um, with bodybuilding, you want to be in the right mental mindset if you want to do this, because there are going to be consequences. We talked about my permanent, you know, health effects that I've had, you know, at the beginning of this podcast episode. Um, so really make sure that, you know, you want to do this for the right reasons. And, um, you know, you ask, you know, what gear should a person start out with, you know, like for their first cycle, you know, what I've always thought is that it should be like 500 milligrams of testosterone, which makes you bigger. It makes you fuller. It helps you gain strength. And then like a non-aromatizing oral that is like low side effects, like Anadrol 50 milligrams or Winstrol 50 milligrams or Anabar 50 milligrams per day, which provides that unnatural shape that people are looking for that provides like those immediate, like cosmetic effects that happen within a week that makes you like, look like you're on gear, which a lot of people want to look unnatural. They want to look freaky. They want to look scientific. They want to look laboratory. They want to look like they're on gear. Obviously, you know, I have too. like, you know, that's a huge part of taking gears is you love that. You love that. You like the way it feels. You like the way it looks. It's pretty freaking awesome. So, you know, if you just take testosterone, you're not going to experience that on your first cycle. But if you take testosterone and you combine it with an unnatural roid, then you are going to experience that. So like I've told you guys in the past, my first cycle started out as 600 milligrams of tests per week. But after a month, it was like I was bigger, stronger, more bloated and looked a little bit fatter. And I was like, fuck this. This is not what I was expected. I'm doing Tren. 
and I started taking Trenbolone 300 milligrams per week and it was in like three days, everything I wanted to happen started happening and everyone was like, fuck Dan, you're, you're, I can seriously tell that you're, you've been working hard in the gym. <laughs> like every day, every day after I started taking the trend, it was like more and more of that. It's hilarious. I was in, I was in college, you know, I was in university during that. It was freaking hilarious. Hilarious, dude. And like the jealousy from people who were not on gear. Oh my gosh. The jealousy was out of control. It, it, uh, gear is some crazy stuff, man. Gear is some crazy stuff. I would just, one of these days, you know, it kind of works better when I'm on the phone with people and I can chat with them or something, but I just want to like talk, you know, and just kind of talk about some of the funny experiences that I've had or something. It, it's kind of hard for me to do on a podcast just by myself or something. But, you know, when I'm conversing with another person, it's, it's a little bit easier. I've, I've had a lot of, you know, funny stuff happen. Uh, you can see my life is very eventful. <laughs> um, next question. Um... Okay. Daniel asks, I have a question regarding bloat with testosterone. How do you mitigate bloat from testosterone? This is at just TRT 200 milligrams a week. If I reduce, I see reduction in my stomach and face. What would you recommend to reduce bloat? Yeah. So that's normal. It, with any gear that isn't like a diuretic style gear, like Winstrol doesn't do that. Prima Bolin doesn't really do that. Anavar doesn't really do that. Mastron definitely doesn't do that. Um, you know, Trenbolone can do that depending on your genetics. It usually doesn't, especially if you're using Cabergolin. It usually doesn't. But, um, yeah, how do you mitigate the bloat? So in addition to just, um, you know, like controlling your estrogen levels, like that's one way to mitigate bloat is keeping your estrogen levels in the physiologically normal range. Um, but there are also other effects of gear and like testosterone, you know, mineral retention, electrolyte retention, increasing it, getting bigger, eating in a calorie surplus. These are all things that, you know, are going to increase water retention. You know, one thing is that the more salt you have, your body has to maintain salt to water balance. So the more sodium or salt you take in, then your body takes in more water to compensate that and maintain like a sodium balance. Um, there's something called aldosterone too, that is kidney related, that is affected by testosterone. Um, and that also um, affects water retention in the skin. So, you know, pretty much though, you can avoid any kind of bloat if you don't eat carbohydrates. So that's one way to control bloat, like on testosterone or just on any gear that bloats you in general. If you stop eating all carbohydrates, it'll take about three days for you to be like, what the fuck? Like I look like a different person now because you've dropped all the water from your face and like stomach and everything. So like you said, yeah, like even 200 milligrams per week of testosterone, you know, I would say in order to get like zero bloating, like zero from testosterone, you only take like 70 milligrams per week, man. Um, 
otherwise there there's going to be like some you know because it's like anything that is anabolic usually and it's dosage dependent too is going to attract more stuff to stay in your body what is anabolic it's getting bigger it's retaining stuff it's keeping more stuff that you put in your body and making your body bigger so it creates bloat you know you retain more water um yeah, I, I mean, my, my, I guess what I would say, you know, when you ask how do you mitigate bloat from gear or how do you mitigate bloat from testosterone specifically, keep your estrogen in range, number one, in the normal physiological range. Um, number two is your carbohydrate intake. The least carbohydrates you eat, the, the less that you're going to have water in your, in your body. And then the third factor would be sodium or salt eating you know, um, the more you limit that, but you know, you're going to get more like cramping and everything too. It like, cause the body requires more salt and sodium, uh, on the cycle than, than off. So it's pretty interesting balance to maintain, you know, genetics also have, you know, a pretty big part to play too with like bloating, you know, really what I have to tell you though, is that carbs, you know, a lot of people don't want to hear that. That's another thing. People are very sensitive about like hearing about their carbs because everyone's addicted to carbohydrates, addicted to sugar and everything, and sugar makes you high. Duh. When you eat it, you feel high, you feel good, you feel happy, you, and, and you feel like you're on shit, you know, for like a little bit, you know, you're like, oh, it feels so amazing. So, you know, when I say like not to eat carbohydrates or whatever, it's another one of those things where I'm like saying like lifestyle adjustment is necessary, doing one of the things that you like to do in your lifestyle has a positive bodybuilding effect to take it away. And so you have this natural reaction like, no, it doesn't. And then to be like trying to get science or whatever to back you up and, and say, no, it doesn't. I don't believe you, you're wrong. Sorry, bro. This is another one of those hard facts. If you want to reduce your bloat, stop eating carbohydrates and in three days, you're going to look like a different person. You're going to have a different face because you dropped so much freaking water from your body, okay? This is a hard rule. And um, you can come at me with whatever science you want. You can argue as much as you want, but the results are there. And if you just do it, if you just try it, you will see the results. Um, hello, what do bodybuilders do before their competitions? They restrict carbs. <laughs> and then they carb up the day before the competition and then they talk about spilling over because they ate too many carbs. And so then they get the water back in and they spilled over. They ate too much and they lose the competition because they had too many carbs and spilled over after their carb depletion to get the water out. Hello, jeez, man. This is one of those emotional subjects where people are like, you know, mad at me for telling them the truth. <laughs> Freaking crazy. Um, all right, next question. Ezra asks, question for the podcast. I ordered two 36IU genotropin pens. To heal my disc bulge in my back, to help heal my disc bulge in my back, 
Is this enough growth hormone to help or give progress to my injury? Or am I wasting my time and money? Any help would be appreciated. Thank you. Well, the dosage that I would use would be, I mean, you have 72 IUs. So growth hormone is effective pharmaceutical grade like you have at two IUs per day. So I would use two IUs per day. I would either take it in a bullish shot once or I'd take it morning and night, roughly 12 hours apart. And, you know, I've used growth hormone to recover from some surgeries. And, dude, yeah, you know, like the professional athletes that have recovery from it. You know, if you if you have like a sore shoulder or something like that and you start, you know, like injecting growth hormone and be like, oh, it's going to heal my pain, my chronic pain or something like that that I've had for years. Don't count on that. You know, but if if you have like an active injury, you know, anecdotal evidence says like, yes, like it does help to recover, you know, and, you know, you have athletes that are recovering, you know, three times the normal speed and the doctor doesn't know why. <laughs> or, you know, myself, like a really good example that I had was that I use, you know, to recover from my hernia surgery and then, you know, be at like my all time best and like PRing on deadlifts and shit like six weeks later you know i used four ius of growth hormone nortitrope and it might have been six ius i forgot it says it in ultimate guide to roids you know my exact protocol that i used to recover from that surgery um but absolutely man it made me recover faster it's made pro athletes recover faster you know does two ius per day work yeah freaking works what does growth hormone do? You know, it affects the way that you process carbs, fats, and protein, and it increases collagen synthesis like a motherfucker. It increases collagen synthesis like 3x normal speed. And, you know, what are tendons made out of? Collagen. What is skin made out of? Collagen. You're increasing the speed of that shit. All right. Um... Let me see. Um, okay, there's a good question. Here's a question from Matt. This is going to be the last question of the day. You know, we're going on an hour and a half here. You know, the podcast is kind of like maxing out the podcast uh, listening time. You know, this is live right now. You know, I'm recording this live on YouTube. Um, so it's just funny for me to see, um, you know, some of your guys's uh, comments, you know, as I'm talking right here, <laughs> I'm just kind of looking at what some of you guys write. Um, you know, anybody that is telling you to take a bunch of SARMs, anybody that's telling you to take a bunch of Turkisterone, they're trying to line their pockets, they can sell it, they're trying to line their pockets, and that's not what they use to get their physique, bro. That is not what they use to get their physique. And they're trying, you their fan, you their fan, who is the person responsible for making them famous, like was always their dream to be famous and liked by people. They're now taking advantage of you and ripping you for your money by lying to you and telling you to take shit that could have who knows what the fuck effect on you. Um, and um, lining their pockets with that. 
They are not your friend, bro. <laughs> All right. So this uh, last question for the day is uh, from Matt. He asks, hey, mate, do you have any TRT-specific episodes or sections of episodes for the podcast uploaded? It's a really good idea, isn't it, to do like a TRT-specific episode? And not TRT for cruising, because, yeah, that's a question that people have, you know, is they'll say, like, that's not a cruise. When somebody says, you know, serious bodybuilders say what their cruise is. So you'll see serious bodybuilders like, you know, I have a discord server, by the way, it's called the ultimate guide, you know, where listeners to the podcast are on this discord server, um, the ultimate guide. If you want to, you know, and, and, you know, they, they chat, you know, and tell talk about what they're doing, you know. And you can see on this Discord server, you know, what people are actually doing and what they look like. Um, and they're pretty honest on it and not mean because it's, you know, a lot of these forums like Reddit or steroid forums or whatever, you know, people are like really mean on them and it's a really huge turnoff. And, you know, if you say the wrong thing or you don't move with the status quo or you don't look the right way for the amount of gear that you use, they're going to abuse you for that. And I don't like that at all. So I won't let people be mean on my Discord server, okay? If you're mean on there, you get banned immediately. You have to be respectful to everyone, and you have to be nice to people, okay? So because of that, everyone is honest and you see what people are actually using. You hear what people are actually using. It's not a bunch of lies to fit in with this like certain social group of roid users. You're like them and you agree with them. And you say the same things that they do. No, it's just anything goes. And you say whatever you want. And you post whatever cycles you want. Whatever cycles you take. And whatever you look like, if you want to post that, and no one is going to tell you that you're some stupid piece of shit for that. Um, if they do, they're gone. So uh, it's pretty cool because there's not a lot of places on the internet that are like that, you know. So if you want to get on the Discord server, um, and it's called the Ultimate Guide, and um, if you can't find that. You can email me at steroidspodcast, S-T-E-R-O-I-D-S, podcast, at gmail.com. And um, I'll send you a link so you can you can get on that if you want to check that out, um, chat with other users. You know, there's hundreds of them from the podcast. Um, you might like that. So... I was just bringing that up because there's people on there, you know, who will say, like, here's my cruise, you know, they're really big advanced bodybuilders and, you know, they'll say that, you know, their cruise includes a few hundred milligrams of Trenbolone and, you know, hundreds of milligrams of testosterone, DECA, etc. And people are like, that's not a cruise. Well, it is for him. You know, it's a cruise for him. <laughs> Compared to what his blast is, it's cruise for him. So is it is it testosterone replacement therapy? No. Is it a cruise for him? Yes. Is it 
what I recommend for a cruise? No. But is that what he does? Yes. Am I going to tell him no? Am I going to tell him stop? Am I going to tell him you should not be doing that? You should be living a different lifestyle? No. He's a bodybuilder and he's going to do what he's going to do and no one's going to stop him. And it's his business and it's not mine and it's none of yours. So, <laughs> you know, that, that's the way it is. You know, I really like like really open, you know, I that's the, what really needs to happen with bodybuilding is openness. That's really important. All right. So let's, let's finish this question up. So not TRT for cruising, he says, but genuine TRT for those in need, whether their bodies are shit like mine or brought on by gear abuse. Info like dosage amounts, frequency protocols. Me personally, 37 and had low test for many, many, many years. 200-ish free test on a good day. Um, hard to do it in Australia. My doctor's willing to give it a go, but obviously can't offer much help or a whole lot of info. He's genuinely trying though, which is a huge plus here in Australia. Cheers, mate. Well, yeah, so generally testosterone replacement therapy is going to be somewhere between like 100 milligrams to 200 milligrams per week and different people metabolize testosterone at different rates and like the blood level that you want to achieve like on TRT would normally be somewhere between like 600 to 1200 nanograms per deciliter, but you want to have that like all week long you know, testosterone enanthate or testosterone cypionate peaks 24 hours after a shot. And then it goes down every day after that. And after like the fourth-ish day after a shot, it starts dropping off like pretty significantly. So usually if guys only take one TRT shot per week and don't divide that into two shots, they'll notice a drop at the end of the week, just general drop in like mood etc energy but if you do it twice per week then it pretty much stays the same all week that's enough so for trt i think it's good to take it twice a week if it's cypionate or enanthate mm. you know if it's sustenon omnidren etc yeah like two or three times per week um and again, yeah, like, you know, 100 milligrams to 200 milligrams, if it's like true TRT that you're looking for, you know, which will be like an advantage over being natural too, um, because naturals, you know, their testosterone levels are up and down throughout the day. It's not consistent blood levels throughout the day. So if you have consistent high blood levels every day of the week, you have a major advantage over naturals. Um, so that there's that, you know, I, I recommend you know, keeping your estrogen levels in the normal physiological range, you know, whether that includes like an aromatase inhibitor or not. Um, I, I think it's good to, you know, not let the estrogen get high, not be focusing on a testosterone to estrogen ratio, but instead be focusing on having high testosterone levels and having normal estrogen levels. You know, that's from my experience, with myself with others that's how i think you're going to feel the best and have the best function um 
I mean, TRT is pretty simple, guys. It, it's pretty simple. Like I said, 100 to 200 milligrams per week, depending on your genetics, usually gets you in the right range. Um, two shots per week of, you know, medium long acting and anthate recipinate, probably the best ones for TRT. You know, keep your blood levels pretty stable. You know, you should keep your estrogen in the normal range with an aromatase inhibitor. And um, that's about it. You, you, <laughs> you know, um, that's about it. Uh, watch your blood pressure. You know, having high testosterone levels makes your blood pressure go up. Anyways, so that's going to be the end of the podcast today, guys. I, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast. I'm going to run the intro, you know, on the version that gets released on the podcasting app, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. That's where most people listen to podcasts, you know. So many people are listening to them more than on YouTube. YouTube, it's like barely anybody listens on YouTube. Uh, you know, my YouTube channels have been deleted so many times. You know, I've got my my YouTube just went to shit. <laughs> but most people listen on the podcasting apps. So, uh, anyways... The intro is going to run right after this because this episode of the podcast was a little different. But I hope you enjoyed this episode, you guys. I enjoyed it. Uh, enjoyed talking to you guys. Welcome to the Steroids Podcast with your host, Dan the Bodybuilder from Thailand. Steroids Podcast is brought to you by Ultimate Guide to Roids, 109-page ebook by Dan the Bodybuilder from Thailand. Now, for the first time in bodybuilding history, you have someone with no corporate interests and no obligation to please anyone, not walking on eggshells to not offend. Ultimate Guide to Roids gives you the information, the whole information, the whole truth, not a full truth and a half truth full truth ultimate guide to roids gives you the keys to the lamborghini gives you the information and lets you decide what to do with it it's a crime this information has been suppressed this long now let's get on with the podcast